In football, anything can happen on the field, and your level of confidence determines how you handle it. And the same goes for moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips you with as much confidence as possible to handle whatever comes your way. With newer, cleaner, safer trucks, Penske Truck Rental will help you move with confidence. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. I'm Chip Patterson. That's Barton Simmons. It's our instant college football playoff reactions Tuesday night show. We're in the bunker. We got the mega cast. We're going to like 15 different experts. Barton Simmons, the thrill of Tuesday nights is back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. My, my Tuesday nights are disrupted once again. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, another, and look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And yet it's interesting. And it tells us a lot. And there's a lot that we can glean from it, and it's fun to break down, and that's what we're, you know, that's what we're gonna do. Right. We we are ultimately looking at the uh, the race for the national championship, and this is the body that will select the four teams that are gonna compete for a national championship, and so their opinions, uh, even even if the even if you want to be uh, as as cynical as, as can be, and just even know that they inside. Like, do you ever think that they inside the room at this first meeting know that the stakes are very low? Uh, I don't know. I bet they. I bet they're process oriented. One week at a time. Doesn't matter who they're playing. Well, that's doesn't matter the yeah. stakes. They're just trying to find the best team, right? <laughs> I mean that. I mean that selection committee does have a bunch of capital F football guys. So no that you're, doubt. There's you're, a lot of coach speak in that room. A lot of coach speak in that room. Okay. Uh, so just real quickly, if you're tuning into this and don't know the top, Alabama 1, Clemson 2, um, LSU 3, Notre Dame at 4, Michigan at 5, Georgia at 6, Oklahoma at 7, Washington State at 8, Kentucky at 9, Ohio State in 10 is your top 10, uh, Florida at 11, UCF at 12, then he goes West Virginia, Penn State, Utah to round out the top 15, Iowa, Texas, Mississippi State, Syracuse, Texas A&M, NC State, Boston College, Fresno State, Iowa State, Virginia. And they do not give an others receiving votes category, so we don't really get to know uh, who all were the teams that just missed the cut, which means, Barton, the big fun in this is that if you're one of those teams that's on the edge, now all you're thinking, like if you're a Washington fan, you're thinking right now about where you might land in next week's college football playoff if you can take care of business against Stanford. Who was the best? Just missed. Who was? Who would be the very best team that didn't get in? Is there one? Wisconsin. One Wisconsin or Washington? Okay. Yeah, Barton. It's two of the teams I had in my college football playoff. Did you have? Those? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Good. This. I, I need to hear more of that because it makes me feel better about my USC pick. Yeah. No. I mean, I had Clemson and Alabama, but I also right. had Washington <laughs> and Wisconsin. Uh, both of those teams unranked, though. I do. I will stand by that. I do think that they're sort of the. They've got to be those teams that were the next. Uh, the next best up. So, yeah. dude, what's uh, what, what kind of what what jumped out at you looking at it? Yeah. Okay. So here's my my biggest takeaway was this. It looks like to me that this is a a a committee 
and this is uh, you Sig- tell me, Chip. You're 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 gooder at you're, you're better gooder. You're better at this at sort of having a good memory and and having some knowing what the precedent is. But I feel like this, at least the top four, tells me that they are valuing what they've seen versus just looking at resumes. And I guess that's sort of the way they've done in the past, right? Yes, for sure. Okay, because you could make a case that of those, that, you know, look, Alabama, what they've done week one to now, it doesn't matter who they played. You know, they deserve to be one. But you could make a case that Notre Dame has the second best resume powered by that Michigan win. Uh, You could also make a case that... LSU, based on who they've actually beaten, has the second best resume, even with the loss. But I think what they, to me, what I think they did here is they said Alabama looks like the best team in the country. Clemson looks like the second best team in the country. LSU looks like the third best team in the country. And Notre Dame looks like the fourth best team in the country. And and they sprinkled in some some resume in there as well. And I like that, if that is, in fact, what they did. Um, but I think it also sets up for some opportunity for, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, if you're, if, if, if you're one loss like that, I don't, I don't see a, a status quo and just, they, I think they'll be open to moving teams based on how they look moving forward. Right. I, 100%. And, uh, this was mentioned and I'm, I'm not going to let it go. Uh, unnoticed here when you've got five or six new faces in that room and and you know that every decision is going to be picked apart and your names by it yeah there's there's going to be a lot of relying on the good old eyes the eye test your gut feeling and there can absolutely be big time adjustments from week to week I think that they get an advantage because when we do this after eight games we we have basically your initial rankings are just to keep the undefeated teams at the top and then you just get to pick and choose your favorite one loss teams and their favorite one loss team is LSU and then they just like you and I Barton couldn't really separate Michigan and Georgia different teams but just see them right there in lockstep with sort of Oklahoma kicking off that next tier like they they sort of get to pick and choose among the one loss teams who they like, and then from that is what I think tells you who's got a shot at the national championship. Because we know that there's going to be more losses, right? We're agreeing on that. Right. Like some of these one-loss teams are going to become two-loss teams here in the next couple weeks. And I think that what we can see in the first one is a little bit of a cap of like, okay, so they are willing to leave the door open for Ohio State to win the national championship. I think that the door is shut before Florida – which is interesting because they're right before UCF. Okay, maybe UCF. But, actually, let me change that. Maybe right, right. UC, maybe UCF is that's the cap. They're saying UCF okay. and up. Those are the yeah. national championship contenders. All right, because yeah, I want to get to that. Um, and and I'll so let's let's go ahead and, and and tackle that. So you think? Because look, I was asked. I had an HQ hit with this, and um, I was asked about UCF and. I said, look, hey, you know, undefeated records, 12th in the country, cute story. You're not really competing for the playoffs. You're competing for a, a, a bowl, a bowl, a major bowl bid out of the out of the group of five ranks. Um, and that's this is sort of proof of that. But 
you're I think you've convinced me that I'm I'm not really seeing that the right way. And give me your thoughts on what this means for UCF. You've been the UCF advocate on the pod here I know. before. So I know. So t- take up the flag and, uh, and 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 tell me what you see there. I've just wanted to accept the thought experiment that it could happen. And again, I always preface it with they got to do it. Like they actually have to go win these games and they probably need some help. And I think that this is good news otherwise because last year they're undefeated this same week of the season and the college football playoff selection committee looks at them and like Barton, as we've said before, I think last year's team was better. And they, and they said that team was number 17. So the fact that they're starting at number 12, not at number 17, I think the door, I think that you could say, you could say, yes, it will require multiple losses like Michigan, Georgia, Oklahoma, Washington state, Kentucky. Like there's gotta be a lot that's gotta happen. But I think UCF could creep in there and get the four. Well, here's my skeptics or cynics view of that. And is last year's UCF team was still building on what were they before? Six and seven or something the year before? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, they, were, they definitely made a bowl at six wins for sure. Right. So they're, I think they're, I think they finished six and seven. And that they were still building on that foundation and now this year they're building on an undefeated foundation so yes they're propped up higher and they're going to be ranked higher but I suspect and this is nothing more than a hunch because to your point precedent tells us and what'd you say Oklahoma was 15th the year they got it in the initial rankings uh yeah no it was Ohio State was 16 initial rankings the year they won the national championship Oklahoma was 15 the following year but I think that was the year they got beat by Clemson in the semifinal. So 15-16 is the precedent okay. for so, making the it, playoff. It, it, right. And and Ohio State, to make it at 16, had to run a pretty serious gauntlet and absolutely destroy Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. So I guess I guess my, my uh, cynics view is UCF still cute at 12, but all this means is it's just going to be, you know, the committee is going to find excuses not to to let to to have other people rise above them. I still don't see this as like a all right. UCF has got a shot this year. I'm still a little bit. I'm not quite up to I'm there yet. Are you ready to talk about the game within the game? The game within okay. the game are all these teams at the top not wanting to be number four. Yeah, that's true. The game within the game is avoiding Alabama in the semifinal. Like maybe you get a like just you at least go out there and get a chance to win your semifinal game because it still feels like a big bowl win. I mean Georgia Georgia still has that Rose Bowl, you know? Like hey, I unless unless Clemson keeps keeps this thing rolling to where there's there's no pick your poison. But so that brings me to my one of my big takeaways is all right, if we're going to look at this from it was they think basically they just think these are the four best teams. They think Alabama's the best, second best, Clemson, LSU's, you know, regardless of resume, whatever. That leads me to my conclusion on this is that of all the teams outside the top four, I like Oklahoma, and, and I've been on an Oklahoma kick lately, but I like Oklahoma's ability to potentially jump teams above them without changing without having a better record based on the way they win. 
Like I see Oklahoma's been winning in really impressive fashion. Oklahoma they, can't lose again. Right. But right. if but if they win out, if they win out. And if Michigan wins out and if Notre Dame has one loss and if Georgia wins, you know, gets into the SEC Championship game, I I do think that there's you could see a scenario where Oklahoma's above all them despite you know, not ha- not having an improved record relative to them because I just think the way they're going to win is going to be as impressive as anybody in the country. And they're also going to have a chance against probably te- – like if they go and beat Texas in the Big 12 championship game, then there's no one on their schedule they've lost to. Oh, yeah, baby. That's the Auburn argument. Or not the Auburn argument, the Georgia argument after they got to beat Auburn in right, the uh, right. SEC championship game. Hey, right. hey, all I can say is we beat everybody on our schedule. That's all that we can control. Right. <laughs> so that 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 one is going to be... Hey, play, um, play this thought experiment. Replace LSU with Oklahoma. Tell me that's not the college football playoff. I think that's what it's going to be. That's, with like, still, that's, with that's, the, my, that's my projection. Yeah, with like Notre Dame slash Michigan, right? The, you know, like you kind of figure out like, all right, it'll be one of those two. Right, right. Um, I do. I so I do think the the door is open for UCF. But if we're just asked to re-rack it every single week, Alabama, Clemson, uh, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, saying for the final. Yeah, like if I if I was to just make a prediction right now of what it's going to look like at the end, that would be my prediction too. Well, I, I might have Notre Dame third. I could well, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I I think I agree with you. I think Oklahoma. At that point, will have established themselves as three, and Notre Dame will have eked by against uh, USC and Northwestern and whoever, and they'll be four. Oh no, I'm even thinking like Notre Dame. Dame. Lose. Yeah, I think Notre Dame loses, and I think See, Michigan I think if, I loses. Think Notre Dame, I still think if Notre Dame loses, we'll be based on sort of this. What what's what's it look like? I think Michigan's going to be a, a more. A, appealing to the eye than Notre Dame. But I see what you're saying. Notre Dame slash Michigan in that fourth spot. Yeah. I think Notre Dame's out if they lose late. I th- well, like, what if they lose? Nah, they could lose this weekend. Yeah, I think if they lose this weekend, I think they have a hard time getting in. Wow. Wow. I really do. They need that Syracuse win. They need... Yeah, they, 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 Syracuse... Yeah, I mean, it's, it is... Hey... It is nice that Syracuse is 19. Like, that's probably the best news for Notre Dame is they now got Syracuse at 19 in this r- ranking, and suddenly that's going to be a, a win, p- potentially. That might help them. Whereas initially you looked at Syracuse and you were like, who cares? Open so your eyes. Gonna <laughs> 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 There's going to be – there. We missed an opportunity to use the Dino drop. To use the Dino Bayer drop after their their big. So hopefully they got another big win in them somewhere along the way for us to, to use some Dino audio. Yeah. Close your eyes. For me. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. The house is filled. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special teams that has been well coached. You have an offense 
that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. I've seen some of the most talented athletes fail because they lacked one essential ingredient, confidence. Without it, everything else goes to waste, and it'll make or break any athlete. The same is true with life off the field, too, for you, for me, for Barton, with moving. It's why Penske Truck Rental equips its customers with as much confidence as possible to make their move successful, like offering newer, cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Every single one of Penske's trucks goes through a multi-point inspection, plus you'll get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So whether you're moving across the country or just across town, Penske Truck Rental helps you move with confidence. And now it's time for Penske Truck Rentals Team on the Move. And Barton, our team on the move, is a very notable one. It's the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, we've got a lot going on with Notre Dame right now because not only are uh, the, is Notre Dame occupying uh, very treasured spots at the top of college football, one of the last undefeated teams, uh, it is once again, for the fourth time in the last five years, a season where Notre Dame is heading into the month of November with one loss or less. Of course, they have none. But as we know, not all of those seasons have, in a, have finished with strong uh, finishes in November. You know, they don't always end up in the national championship picture. So Notre Dame's going on the road. They've got to be playing Northwestern in, uh, in Evanston this weekend on a scale of 0 to 10, Barton. Where are you setting the upset alert volume for Notre Dame this week? Uh, six, maybe higher than five. I was, was not going to allow anything lower than five to get through. I would have, uh, had Northwestern lost to, let's just say this. If Northwestern had lost a close game to Wisconsin, the upset meter would be at, at what I say? Six. It would be at seven. Had Northwestern been blown out by Wisconsin, the upset meter would Eight. be at a nine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's just what Northwestern does. And so they kind of got that out of the way last week. Upset Wisconsin after almost losing to Rutgers. Uh, so Notre Dame should be expecting uh, a fight. And Northwestern, you know, has a way of, of just making these games ugly, sort of getting people to play their style. Uh, and and look, Northwestern's found a run game. Ever since Jeremy Larkin got hurt, they've really had nothing. They didn't have much of a run game even when, when he was healthy. But now uh, Isaiah Bowser has rushed for 100 yards, two straight games, had 34 carries last week against Wisconsin, um, 3.4 yards per carry, but 117 yards. Uh, long of 11. <laughs> so it's three yards in a cloud of dust when he runs it. But then you got Clayton Thorson in this sort of almost ball control passing offense. And I just, because Northwestern has this style of, of, of getting teams to sort of dragging teams down with them, 
I, I just this is uh, to me this is the scariest spot on Notre Dame's schedule remaining. I I have zero concern about Notre Dame being able to beat USC. I have zero concern about Notre Dame being able to beat Florida State. Northwestern, there's concern, and Syracuse, yes. there's a little bit of concern. Yes, for sure. But it's funny that you know Northwestern and Syracuse are clearly the two more dangerous spots, um, and. And I think Florida State and USC are, are, to me, chalk those up. For Northwestern defensively, when it comes to, like, so, um, you know, we lost Alex Bars. It looks like the Notre Dame offensive line so far, and, you know, Navy's defense provides, uh, I guess, not the, the best example. But, you know, so far it looks like we're, we're seeing a Notre Dame offense that is, that is still humming right along, right? I mean, uh, they had, they've had their their bad performance, as you mentioned before, the bad Ian Book game when the pit game has already come and gone. You know, you still have in Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool solid possession receivers, not really deep threats. Dexter Williams uh, and Jafar are doing a good job of providing some balance there. You know, where, where do you think Northwestern finds an opportunity to attack or where does Northwestern find an advantage there? Looking at uh, so in the in the Ian Book days, uh, Northwest or Notre Dame has not been under let's see six point two five yards per play um, in in any game Ian Book started except for Pitt and they're four point nine yards per play in that game so that is absolutely the outlier <clears throat> um, and yet I really think that was a game where. We just saw Ian Book get some looks maybe he wasn't comfortable with. He just sort of had an uh, off half in that first half, still threw for 80% completions uh, for the game, but just, just wasn't, wasn't himself that half. Uh, and and he, he settled himself and, and played well in the second half. And so I think when you're looking at Northwestern and, and how to attack this thing, ultimately I, I do think that um, you know, Northwestern is pretty balanced defensively. Uh, they've got some good, you know, they got a good safety. Uh, they've got pretty good play on the defensive front. Patty Armstrong is is, is uh, it's Armstrong, isn't that his last name? The the middle linebacker there yeah. from Northwest. You you Patty mean Fisher. Pat, Patty, Patty Fisher? Patty Fisher yeah. is uh, Pat Fitzgerald incarnate. Um, yes, and so I don't know who Patty Patty Armstrong is. I think that's someone I went to high school with. Uh, Graziano and, on the offensive <laughs> line is nasty. He'll get after it. So I, I just I think that. I mean, defensive line, yeah. To me, this is a de- this is a balanced offense against a balanced defense, and it's just about so- someone playing better. Uh, and so, I, I think you got to bring your A game, and because it's uh, you know, when you go to when you go to Evanston, it's a little bit like going to Stanford in the Pac-12. You just you know, you're not going to get a great atmosphere. It's going to be windy and cold, and you just you better you better want to be there. Otherwise, they'll catch you. They'll catch you slipping. Uh, Brian Kelly is not willing to rule out Drew Tranquil from playing against Northwestern. And I would, I would say that based on, you know, Drew Tranquil has been doing this for what, like nine years now at this point. I, I would say that he or Jerry Tillery are probably the most important defensive players for Notre Dame. If Tranquil does not play in this game, does it change at all your expectations for the Irish? No, it doesn't change my expectations. Uh, but I think that guy's really good. Uh, you can you can both be confident in Notre Dame's depth and also praise Drew Tranquil as probably being one of the best players on that side. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that, and, and Drew Tranquil's, he's, you know, that's the kid that's, he's, he's versatile, he's athletic, you know, he can defend the run and the pass. So I think that he gives them some flexibility defensively. Um, but that said, I, I do think that their linebacking core is deep enough. And, and I think they've got some young guys that can, can, can step up and, and, and be really good given the opportunity. So I, that's not a concern of mine while I still I think Drew Tranquil is, is legit. And that is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, our Penske truck rental team on the move. They will be playing at Northwestern that game, 7-15 Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. Uh, our thanks to Penske Truck Rental. Remember that they offer newer and cleaner trucks that are among the safest on the road. Thanks to those multi-point inspections, you can get unlimited miles on one-way rentals. The unexpected is bound to happen, but with Penske, you'll have the confidence that you need to handle it. Penske Truck Rental helping you move with confidence. Big news, Barton, out of um, out of the University of Maryland. The uh, so let's let's count this because this is happening a little bit. It's all very fluid, but the the end result here from from what I've been able to tell and what I've been able to gather is that we've got a university president Wallace Lowe who is stepping down. We have a head football coach in DJ Durkin who, after being on administrative leave through multiple investigations into both the the death of Jordan McNair and reports and allegations of a toxic culture behind the scenes, DJ Durkin, it looks like, will be returning to the sideline for the Terps. So what was your uh, instant reaction here in terms of the decision from the University Board of Regents recommending or suggesting uh, that he be allowed back? I'm very surprised. Uh, aren't you? I I was initially surprised, but I, I've got an answer that is a little bit cynical and and placated my surprise pretty quickly. Do you want to go ahead and get well, into it? Well, I mean, I think pro- I I would guess where you're about to go is I mean, for me, it was is this about <clears throat> support for for DJ Durkin or is it about CYA? And and covering your ass, and I think if number two, like right, right, like that, that's and yet, so it's just interesting that that's what covers your ass is 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 keeping the coach, um, but it appears that's what it is, and I think it is. I mean, it's just a like there's a very layered deal here. I mean, I it's it's a mess for Maryland. Yes. I mean that's the main thing. It's a mess because A DJ like DJ Durkin's gonna come back. Recruiting is gonna be impossible. The team is gonna be fractured. The the entire campus is gonna be disrupted with the president stepping down. Um and 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 and, and it's just I, I don't know how I think this program could be in this could set the program back for years. I agree. Um, and I think it is CYA. I think because there was a, a good point made that even within the investigations and the Board of Regents findings, they they found that DJ Durkin had requested for more attention from medical personnel, uh, more more staffing and, and so forth. So the idea being that that is <coughs> mm, Dang, Barton, you're giving me the cold. 
uh, the idea being that that would be a window in for uh, for DJ Durkin to sue for damages. Um, that you know, hey, I I did my part. It was people above me that weren't acting or responding in a way. Now, there's another layer to this having to do with the like university's hiring system, where the board of regents and the people on in that system uh, did not feel as though there was enough to be able to justify the firing, not only from a, a lawsuit or suing for damages, but even within falling falling within the code that had already been laid out regarding employment at the university. Um, but but standing by a 10 and 15 coach with three or four Big Ten wins, and I agree, and setting the program back likely a couple of years, especially when I think Matt Canada's been doing a good job, everything in the details makes sense and everything on its face makes no sense. Well, and, the, and, and part of the cynical approach too, is if you fire DJ Durkin, then you further open yourself up to sort sort of a, a an admittance of, of um, wrongdoing on the liability, the, liability on the part of the Jordan McNair death. Uh, and so, yeah, it feels like there's a lot of that going on here. I mean, otherwise, what's what per, what what reason would you have to bring DJ Durkin back? It's just it's given given the obstacles that they're going to have on the recruiting trail, given the obstacles that you know they're going to have just in, in uniting the team, and given the well, and 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 I think that it's probably fair to. Look, clearly they don't believe that the the culture was toxic, or well, not clearly, but this is what they're trying to tell us. Right? They don't believe that the culture is toxic. Um, I don't know if I believe the culture is toxic or not. I think it probably was a little. I think it was probably a little bit of um, a a culture that pushed the limits a little bit, but not that different from the rest of college football nationally. So on that front, I don't necessarily think that DJ Durkin is 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 damned, um, but it's more about what is the what are the consequences for a kid dying on somebody's watch. Um, and I look, the reality is, pro- you know, it, it would just be to to fire DJ Durkin and and point to that. It would really just be about sending a message to the rest of college football that. Look, if you if, if someone dies on your watch, you, you you're gonna have to be held responsible for it. And 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 yet, I don't know how much DJ Durkin really could have done. And and to that point, it feels like there should be a huge shakeup in the medical trainer uh, department at, at Maryland, because Wes Robinson or whoever it was that sort of oversaw that, I feel like. It, is really the person that, that needs to be most held accountable on that front. Do you think that we as <clears throat> we as members of the media or uh, you know talkers or analysts or, or if you know we don't always you and I don't always have say over the questions that we're asked on CBS Sports HQ. Watch CBS Sports HQ, CBS Sports HQ dot com, twenty four seven streaming news network. Um, but. When we react to the to the report about the toxic culture, we dig into it, and then we have to walk it back. 
do we share some of the the blame and the whiplash behind uh, someone who is standing on the outside, a random college football fan who's not digging into the weeds, is told one month everything at Maryland, everything is terrible. Not only did Jordan McNair die, but all this other stuff is bad. But then we have to is, walk is, it back. Is we the collective we, or is we literally you and me? Collective. Uh, yeah, probably. Though, but I think you and I were were. were you know, took it with a little bit of a grain of salt. I don't think that we were we were, you know, grabbing our pitchforks when the the report came out. Am I am I misremembering our our response to it? No, no, we were we were leveled, especially with the with the clarifications within the story that comments had come from former players and even former coaches, people who weren't even at the program, no skin in the game. Yeah, and even it sounds like just just based on the reporting from Jeff Ehrman on on our inside. MD Sports site on 24-7 Sports, you know, a lot of the guys that are the, the fracturing within the locker room currently about the return of DJ Durkin um, is, is, appears to be more centered around sort of the handling of the death, the just the all of the response following it more so than this sort of toxic, quote, toxic culture that we've been hearing about, which which kind of makes sense, and and so uh, that doesn't does remove the fact that it's going to be. I mean, look, what, whatever's happening in the locker room is what's real, uh, regardless of what happens in the media. And when there's real fracturing inside the locker room, I think that that's that's a story, and that's uh, that that's that's unhealthy. So what's uh, what I mean? What do you expect? What what is for Maryland like? Would it surprise you if they went on a, a little run here? Won a couple games with DJ Durkin. Would it surprise you if they lost all the? Like, is there is there any uh, on field expectation for the rest of the season for the Terps? I feel like it's zero and four at the end of the season. I mean, they play Ohio State and Penn State. They play Michigan State this weekend. Then they go to Indiana, and they need one a, win to be bowl eligible. And they've got a coach coming in, basically, and and it appears that Matt Canada has sort of run that program in a much more laid back way. And now you got DJ Durkin coming in and whether he'll change or not, he is certainly a more um, hands on, I think intense has a more of an intense approach to the program. And so, you know, what's, there's just a lot of like, how does all of that, how does just the logistics and the, I mean, culturally, how are they going to operate? It's just hard for me to envision this being a united team that's going to be focused on winning games with all this going on. And so uh, I, I got a hard time, given their schedule, given they're all pretty good teams remaining, I got a hard time seeing them win any. They could go 0-4 to finish the season. There could be a rash of transfers, and then they could decide to fire DJ Durkin after all of this. Well... It would be, you mean after like next season? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could. That, that would. Yeah, it might just be sort of the way they have to feel like they have to play it. Yeah, that's. I, I was just thinking that. Like, just just sort of talking this out loud. That. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe somebody who is a power player at Maryland probably knows that DJ Durkin sh- is should not be the answer. That that if they are really thinking about rebuilding the football program with the head coach who's going to be there for five to 10 years and change where that program stands in the big 10. 
<clears throat> it can't be DJ Durkin. And then it'll yeah, probably I, just it'll probably just mean having to uh, make a change at another time. Yeah, I think I I kind of I think that's you may be onto something there. This is he comes back because they feel like they have to bring him back, given all the liability issues, given the given his the the um, suits that he could bring against against the school, and then the things things just really start to crater. And then they just go ahead and eat his buyout in another year, whatever that, that maybe that's a prohibitive buyout. I don't know, but I, I would assume that at some point I, I would, I, you know, this, I don't feel like we're going to be looking up in four years and DJ Durkin's still the head coach of Maryland. Yeah, I agree. I'd be, sh- I'd be shocked if that was the case. Like either, either because of something else and they'll be like, all right, well you can't, you know, we can't have one other thing on top of everything in your history or just because the team Will not be able to unify and win ball games in four years. He's not going to be the coach. Yeah. Um. Also in the Big Ten, Urban Meyer talking to uh, the man Pete Thamel, going into some details uh, about some of his severe headaches and some of his health conditions. And uh, he's he's trying Barton. He's trying to be really really transparent. I, I like that. That that always count on urban to just for for his transparency for his transparency you count on (laughs) urban his transparency uh yeah man it feels like this is this is this is all a setup this is all a uh posturing for an exit yeah that doesn't it yep it's just like look that and to be clear i i have there's no um primary source that is talking to me saying Urban's gone, but it feels like everybody, all the media members close to that program, all the all the folks that know the folks around that program, are all starting to just sort of assume that this is going to be it for Urban at Ohio State, and whether that means he he shows up at USC or somewhere else, or whether he just bows out, or I don't know, but they're just as this sure does seem like a lot of, uh, a, a lot of a, a setup for a a departure. I mean, it's just it, and, and we're here. It's October thirtieth in an election year. I mean, it just seems like timely messaging, right? Right. Yeah. Like, oh, Pete, I've been I've been meaning to tell you about this. Watch it. Oh, do you need my doctor's phone number for a quote? Here. Here he is right there. He'll actually be awaiting your call. Right. right. Yes. Did you did you know he had brain surgery? Is yes. That news? That I, is I, I, not it is I think it I think it is news to most people. Okay. I I had missed I knew he had health health issues leaving Florida, but I, I had missed a 2014 brain surgery. Which, you know, I, I brain surgery strikes me as it strikes me as like there's d- messing around with the brain, cutting the head open and messing around with the brain in any capacity doesn't seem all, all that minor to me. So I don't know if there's like a way to spin it where it's like it was just no big deal brain surgery, but brain surgery seems like kind of something that is important. I am not any specialist with any expertise, but when I read the description of the procedure, it sounded more like whatever having your knee drained is for your brain. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, like if like if if one brain surgery is uh, ACL repair and the other side of it is having your knee drained to relieve some swelling, it sounded like it was closer to that. Like less. So he had a cyst on his brain, <clears throat> right? And they and they poked around in there and popped the cyst and sucked the cyst juice out, right? And and never really got in on, on the actual brain. We never cracked that sucker open so that he had a giant scar down the middle of his head that he had to hide. That's still a lot of messing around with your with your cranium with your noggin. A little, a little, it's a little scary, but uh, okay. So he's got a brain cyst, and he's the health the health thing is popping up again. That apparently uh, he had since he was an assistant at Notre Dame. I mean, the guy does need to just like truly. If we're really, if I'm Urban's, you know, son, I'm kind of like dad. What 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 the hell, man? Like, let's just chill. Just you got money. Let's just hey. You got you got a cyst on your brain, like let, let's like I don't even even if this is some sort of posturing to to you know set up for a, an exit that he's that both sides want or whatever it is, the health thing does seem to be like real, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't seem like this is just some made up story. It does seem like it's real because I don't know. Do you are you skeptical? Are you are you are you uh? Are you a little bit more, um, I don't know, you believe this? Oh, of course. I mean, I believe it, but I just, I think that, like, for example, just the detail that he's been diagnosed, he was first diagnosed with this back in the late 90s when he was assistant at Notre Dame. I think, I think he is uh, an adult male with some health issues. I think I think there's a lot of adult males with health, health issues at his age. And at all ages. And I, I think that there's a lot of adult female. I mean, the, that's, that's fair. That's a good, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just, I, I think that he could, he could be working his way through this, finding ways to manage and cope and, you know, whether through medication or therapy, like there's, you know, this, I mean, this wasn't a head, this was, it wasn't a headline when he won two times at Florida, man with cyst on his brain wins two national championships. No doubt. And all, all all these all these coaches are are crazy, and I don't mean that in a, you know, I mean that in a borderline you're, complimentary way. You're I mean, not they, trying to demean mental health. You just say no, that no, the no, wiring I'm, no, that it no, takes. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying like these guys, like all these coaches, have millions of dollars, and they they could all retire. I mean, all these guys that are coaching at Urban's level, and yet they're choosing to work sixteen hour days, and you know weekends borderline year round and recruiting all off season. And I mean, and being exposed to the, uh, the pressures and the job security issues and the personnel issues that all come up. It takes, it takes a crazy person to, to, to be a head football coach at a, at a, at a major college. And so in that sense, I guess, uh, you know, a person that's got that sort of mentality, they got a little cyst on their brain, and they can they can live with it. Right, and so and so in that sense, like, am I believing it? Yes, I'm, I'm believing it, but I'm I'm also finding it. Uh, I'm also I'm also finding it that you know it might be, and it listen, uh, it could be that. <clears throat> Those issues also, even for Urban Meyer and for Urban's family, like the severity of them have only been further realized by the stress of the last four months, right? 
absolutely. Like I, I, that I has to. Be. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, I would believe them if that's what it ends up being. If it was like it, you know, this is this is something that I need to that that I need to take care of. I mean, what he's he's sort of dropped down with the headaches uh, against Indiana. He's he's had a couple times in the last two years where it's become more visible. Um, yeah, I could. I could see him deciding that something that he has chosen to manage and cope with through medication and help from doctors, if if the joy isn't there in college football coaching anymore, well, then why are you trying to manage and cope with it like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I guess what I'm saying is like I'm, I'm not so cynical to think that somehow him getting down on one knee with a headache against Indiana is some sort of show. I don't I, think I, that either. You know what I mean? Like, I think this is, yes, you know, calling up Pete Thamel and saying, hey, I think it might be time to write this this story about my health. Yes, that is certainly calculated, but I don't think it is concocted. I think it's interesting uh, and, that you said all the people who know people, it just seems to be that everyone's just kind of moved to this point of acceptance. And that was even before this, this right. health stuff. Yeah. You know, it was just sort of, and and, and it's hard to really pin pin down who's whether that's more of urban wanting out or whether that's more of everyone wanting urban out or whether it's more of just everyone just saying you know what this might be is but it, it appears that that's a lot of folk a lot of folks that know folks are 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 are, are saying that and when we talked about him mean, he was asked in his monday presser uh will you be back next year and he said yes but the body language the uh tone it was all very uh no <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah the, the the everything i hear you urban it's just every other signal i'm getting is saying no yeah it was it was say you know, saying yes as he vehemently vehemently shook, shook his head like, yeah, and just, acted like he was going to vomit at the smell of his <laughs> earth breath. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, you may, how about this? So in, in that I will be, uh, I will feel like I've been, uh, tricked if he retires for health reasons and pops up at USC. You mentioned USC earlier, right? That's the thing that's sort of, that's where the cynical side comes. Yeah. This is where right. cynical comes back is like, if he steps down, but then he's like, well, gosh, you know, I can't turn down a dream job like USC. Right, right. Yeah, you got, like, in that sense, it's almost like, all right, what, you can't, yeah, you have to choose one. You have to say, I'm going because I want to go take this other job, or you have to say health issues. You can't, you can't merge the two um, because health issues will not allow you to go step into the next pressure cooker down the road. All right, Clay Helton has decided to strip the play calling duties from T. Martin. Our uh, our T. Martin as a head coach dream appears to have oh, crashed T. and burned. God, T. missed his window, man. Um, that was because what was it? I mean, really, it was. I mean, T. was sort of float trying to get in there for the Tennessee thing. There was, you know, South Alabama. I guess was out there for T. Um, there's, there, there were some, I mean, he was getting some head coach buzz last right. cycle. <clears throat> yep. And now he's, now he's one year later. 
that's how quick it changes. You got to strike where the iron's hot. Now he's being demoted. I mean, he he was going to be out here getting a head coaching job as the kingmaker of Sam Darnold. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and now Clay Helton is coming into your office with the blessings of the athletic director to say, nah, you're not calling plays anymore. Yeah, we're shooting. It might not have even been the blessing of the athletic director. It might have been the instruction of the athletic director. Lynn Swan saying like, hey, buddy, we I need to see headlines of changes this well, week. Well, remember, he, and he was asked in his post-game presser if there would be any coaching staff changes. And he straight up said no. And then Monday, he has his Monday meeting with Lynn Swan. And then Monday afternoon, changes are made. So, you know, connect the dots there. Seems pretty clear to me that Lynn Swan is, is, is saying, if you're not going to do it, Clay, I'm going to tell you to do it. Because that's, look, all these guys, and it's, it's so tough to figure this stuff out because, you know, you don't want to be reactionary and you don't want to be calling for firings. And yet, whenever these things start to go south, so often it's it's loyalty to a fault that is the problem. I mean, look at Jimbo Fisher and his staff at Florida State. I think that's that's probably you know exhibit A of of why, how things went went south was his 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 loyalty that was undeserved. What well, undeserves wrong, but but. Just he, he held some, some some staffers too long. Yeah, and I think when we look now at what's going on with, and I don't know that the the T even falls into that category, but certainly Neil Calloway, the offensive line coach at, at USC, I think does offensive line that has been really bad for at least three years, uh, and a guy that says that and an offensive line coach that has a very close personal relationship with Clay Helton, and it was just clear this wasn't working, and Clay Helton. Again, if we're connecting the dots, what are we going to make a change? And Lynn Swan said, make a change or else uh, would be my assumption. And uh, and there you have it. So I'm sure that was a tough call for Clay Helton to make on Monday afternoon. Uh, but it feels like it's, it had to be done. I don't think it does anything for this. I mean, to, to your point about when we see things start to go down this road, I <clears throat> I look at it and I'm like, Oh, so now we're going to change the play calling duties. Okay, so in two weeks, we'll have the vote of confidence from the athletic director. And then in three weeks, we'll start learning about this. And then, you know, it's like I can fill out the script or the Mad Lib with the way this ends. And this ends with USC being open at the end of the season. It does feel like that's the way this ends. Uh and so Tim Trevno now takes over the offensive line duties. He was the running backs coach, came from Michigan, but and he was the run and, and, and I think he I think he still is running backs coach, taking on offensive line duties now. Still pass game coordinator, uh, or maybe he's run game coordinator, and and just getting some help help from the GAs now in addition to those duties. I mean, he was not he was not a guy that the that folks were. You know, Ed Warner taking his place at Michigan as the offensive line coach is a move that appears to have helped Michigan. Mm. So that he, I mean, it doesn't seem like that's going to be some quick fix answer to your point. And yet, sometimes a new voice in the room helps. Okay. So, sometimes uh, a recalibration of things is is important, and maybe 
this this can can shift the tide a little bit. I'm not optimistic. I don't necessarily expect that, but uh, I understand the the move, and I understand the you know this is maybe just a message from Lynn Swan, like, hey, start start moving your chest spaces around a little bit, and and try to get this fixed because the status quo is not acceptable right now. And if you don't make a move, and things continue to trend as they are, you're gone. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of get it. Uh, I, I, frankly, I, I think that the strength and conditioning coach can't, can't possibly be the answer there either, given the way they've sort of the development that's gone on there. If I, so, they're going to play at Oregon State this week. JT Daniels expected to start when? All right. Going to win, going to be better. They play Cal at home. I'm, you know what? I'd, I'd be willing to say that's a win too. But you, you can't, certainly can't chalk it up. You can't tell me at UCLA is going to be a win either. Nope. And Notre Dame's probably a loss. I would Let's say they go 2-2. 6-6. Two and two. Six and uh, six. That, that puts them at 6-6. Six and six. I don't know that you can keep – I, I don't know that you can keep, to co- keep the coach at USC for, with 6-6. Six and six. They're going to go to the Sun Bowl – with an interim coach, T. Martin, is that is that, a, is that defensible? Like, a, can you can you defend keeping a coach at USC at six and six? Not Am this. Am I overreacting? That you cannot keep this team at six and six. Be, you and you don't know why? Because there's not like a, a direction. There's there's not a trajectory that points to they're close or they're headed in the right direction. Well, I mean, that's the thing about it is if you get. I, it, there's not a there's no confidence that it would be under Clay Helton, and yet this team does have a true freshman quarterback that's really good, uh, a really good receiving core. Uh, they've recruited really well. There's oh, well, so, here's I mean, here's Brent, the big thing. What is their what does their class look like for December? Could get ugly. I mean, right now they're not like t- USC always in recruiting is 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 a late close school. They always close in January, and that's partially because the. You know, recruiting slower out west. It's partially because they they sort of chip away at guys in the southeast, and 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 it takes the signing day to get them all the way on board. But I mean, right now they're ranked, you know, they're 27th in the country in the in the rankings, and that's not abnormal for what USC does. It's not great, but it's not totally abnormal. Uh, and but if if your coach is fired. Uh, this will not be a great recruiting class. I mean, that that's I guess good, probably goes without saying. The uh, if you don't, mm, if USC, so uh, our boy Ryan Abraham has two requirements. Have you seen this? His two requirements for the uh, the next USC head coach has to has what was it has to have a head been a head coach before has to have been a good college football head coach. Not and has to know the fight song and cannot know the fight song. Oh, cannot know the fight song. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, I misread that. That is that's probably a smart. Uh, a, a smart he was like, situation. no more Jack Del Rio, no more Jeff Fisher. Don't no more uh, somebody who was there. No, no, no. There yeah. are only two requirements. Doesn't even need to be someone who wasn't just somebody who at any time in their career was a head coach in a college football and was successful, and someone who does not know the fight song. Yeah, I, th- I think that those are probably smart stipulations you- uh, and, and and pretty doable. Uh, I mean, there's this is still, I think, such an, like and, and if this job came open 
it would be a a I mean obviously a highly coveted job just because it always is going to be but it's a win it's a win now situation you're 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 inheriting a, so, a true sophomore starting quarterback that is a stud and a couple of top five recruiting classes in a row and you're still USC I mean that that you gotta think that you can tempt someone that's sitting at a really in a really good spot already. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think at this point it's, it's just, how do you have, how do you have faith in, in Clay Helton at this point? You don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how you do. You don't. Um, all right. <clears throat> we will get to much more tomorrow. Our thanks, uh, our thanks to you, Barton Simmons. Our thanks to you, the listener. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our instant reactions to the college football playoff rankings. Overreactions, of course. Sure to change, potentially even by the time we record our next show on Wednesday. So be sure that you subscribe so you can hear us change our opinions on that. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Our thanks to Penske Truck Rental. Remember, they are cleaner, safer trucks that are among the safest on the road. Uh, unlimited miles on one-way rentals. So if you're moving across town or across the country, Penske Truck Rental, helping you move with confidence. Barton, thank you very much. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special team that has been well coached. You have an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. Open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football.